to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I remember him saying to me, like, I'm going to have to sleep with her tonight because, you know, I haven't slept with her for a while. It hurt and it made me angry and it made me jealous. Like I hated her and I was so jealous that he was in there with her and that she was getting what she wanted. It crushed me. It absolutely crushed me that this guy who was claiming to say that I was, you know, his girlfriend and that he wanted to be with me and no one else was then going in, into this other room and having sex with her. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Today we're going to hear from May. She has a complex story of a really toxic love triangle that is fueled by violence and fear. It's a story that really belongs in a Hollywood film. A story of manipulation, and at its core, is brutal domestic violence. Content warning. If you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. May, we have a really interesting story to dive into. It's almost Hollywood movie-esque, would you say? It's certainly a story that people find unbelievable, so possibly, yeah. Can you start with falling in love in 2006? Yeah, it was. So I was 19 at the time and uh, I... I always start this story with, I met a guy (laughs) and uh, he was the epitome, I guess, of what you'd call like a bad boy. Um, You know, he had a shaved head, he wore a bit of gold jewellery, he was, he seemed to be powerful and confident and charismatic and uh, he seemed to be the perfect opportunity to get out of the quiet life I'd been living in a little tiny suburb. Um, and it was the start of the craziest the craziest path that I could have gone down for my life. Um, yeah, it I don't know if it's 
I fell. In, I don't think I fell in love with him straight. I think I fell in just awe of this incredible life that he offered and this person that he seemed to be. It was so far removed from anything I'd ever experienced, which turned it into me not realizing that it was actually a really bad place to be. Because this was a guy that had, I guess, a level of power and influence over women. Now, we don't want to give away, because this is uh, keeping this anonymous, we don't want to give away what he did. Yes. But did he lure you into his lifestyle through work? Uh, yes. The the business that he was in um, had a lot to do with, yeah, I guess you would say power over women. Uh, and he offered an opportunity that I had been looking for. Uh, and so that was how I came across him because I think he'd, he'd advertised something and then he had said, yeah, you know, like I'd love to meet you, come in. And I was like, oh, my God, this this person who, as you say, had a bit of power in the position he was in uh, thinks that I might be good for this. Uh, and so uh, I got sucked in from, from that first moment. Uh, and I said I went down to the city to meet him and it just all seemed very flash and fabulous and he made promises like he was going to take on the world and and do all these wonderful things and he had these great opportunities and uh, I kind of went oh yes this is where I'm supposed to be. Did it become a romantic relationship quite quickly? Well I met him I think it was on a Monday and I stayed that night and the next night and the next night and the next night. (laughs) It, uh, It was about five days before my mother managed to track down where I was because I didn't tell her where I was so so you were definitely enamored by this person, by his career, his lifestyle, his looks, his swagger. You were just taken by him. I was like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, wow, this is it. this is the thing that that you know, like I'm being swept off my feet. And and he talked of these incredible dreams and the things he was going to achieve. And and right from the get go, he was like, you know, you could be a part of that, and uh, we can do this together. And um, you know, it was, yeah, he just, he just swept me into it. And I was like, okay, this is, it was such, such a far cry from the life I had been living, you know, cause I, I was still at home at that point, you know, and I'd never seen anything. I'd never been in the city at nighttime. And, you know, he had cool people on his call list and he did exciting things. And, uh, and I went, okay, I can, I can do this. And I wanted to please him and I wanted to get the, you know, I, at the time I, I thought that I was going to be like I was going to be a superstar and I thought this guy was going to help make that happen. And uh, so I think it was a little bit of being enamored by him but also wanting to push myself, like get something for myself uh, before. But then obviously it started to go downhill from there. Let's get into when it started to get weird. Looking back at it, it was weird from the beginning. I mean, everything about him was weird. Um, you know, the house that he lived in, he didn't have sheets on his bed. He didn't have anything in his fridge. His the desk that he ran his business from was an old wooden door set on a on two filing cabinets. Like there was oddness about him to start with, um, and I found out very quickly as well that he had a um, like a police record, like he had a history of, of criminal activity. But it went downhill very quickly. Um, he told me that he had just split up from his girlfriend, but she turned up one night. So this obviously within the first, probably within that first week actually that I'd met him. And I remember her turning up at the front door one night and she was upset and she was like, why is this girl here? And, um, you know, and he, from that very first moment, started to play us against each other. And it was like, no, this is my ex-girlfriend. 
you know, she's just a bit, you know, she's she's not taking rejection well, she's not taking being dumped very well, blah, blah, blah. So I remember her turning up and she was just instantly hating me because he was I was a little bit younger than her. She's like, why is this girl in my boyfriend's house? I thought we were together. So chances are he hadn't actually sort of said this is the end of a relationship. He was probably just playing with her. And also in that time found out that he had breached whatever sort of parole or whatever he was on and he was set to go to jail. Within this time, was he romantic with her? Between me meeting him and him going to jail was only the space of like a couple of weeks. And I mean literally like maybe two weeks before he went in. And in that time, I went from meeting him to us starting an intimate relationship to another girl appearing on the scene to her moving in, the three of us together. uh, We were intimate together as a threesome. And then he went to jail and I proceeded to look after his business for him, living with her. She was paying the bills. I was running the business. And all of a sudden I was living with this other girl and we both had the same guy. But yet he told both of us that we were with him and not the other one, that the other one was being used to help us as a couple And I do believe that he was saying the same thing to her because why else would she have stayed unless he was saying the same thing to her that he was saying to me, that it's you and me and she's like a pawn in us, like staying together, like, you know, making this work kind of thing. So how long is he in jail for in this first instance? So he went in for, I think it was about three to four months that he was in. Wow. So from two weeks or something, you are committed to this time that he's in jail and taken on all of this responsibility. Are you living with her this whole time? Yes. So do you start to like her? Are you enjoying her company? Is it a weird rivalry? Like what's it like? For the most part, as the two of us, I actually really enjoyed my time living with her. Like us together, uh, we got on quite well. Um, you know, it was we were going into winter at the time, so I have I have clear memories of things like going for walks at night in the cold winter air together. Um, you know, she we'd cook dinner together. We'd have, I mean, we'd even have like we'd have baths together because the house was quite cold, and we'd have a bath together. Or um, so I said, there was a very murky line between what was involved. We had been intimate like with him as well. We weren't really intimate together, like the two of us women, when it was apart from like sort of, I guess, having baths occasionally, but there was nothing really sexual. I don't think there was anything sexual about that. We were just kind of, I guess, just very open roommates because we'd seen everything at that point. But we did get along. The only times we didn't get along was when he was involved. So we would go to visit him every weekend. at Together. Together. And we would be fine in the car ride because I was the one with the car. So she'd come with me. And we'd be fine in the car ride together. When we were there around him, we hated each other. And then we'd leave and there'd be a bit of animosity, but it would resolve and we'd kind of get back into our, our unspoken agreement when we got back home. Um, or if he called us, there'd be fights, like there'd be an argument between us if, it, if he, you know, if we were spoken to him on the phone and things like that. I was, trying to run his business for him. I wasn't really working for myself. I didn't have any money. She was working a full-time job at the time uh, and I knew that she kept some cash in a drawer in our hallway. 
and I started to borrow a bit of it because I had nothing. This is not an excuse. I should never have done it, but this is what happened. And Anyway, she eventually worked out that I'd stolen from her um, and she was talking to him at the time and he was trying to get involved in it, but I was had enough of it. We'd have been having a fight and blah, 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 blah. So we, and I was very obnoxious and I was very arrogant and I did truly believe that I was the um, head female in our triangle. So I didn't give a flying fuck what she thought. And I was like, yeah, look, I was going to give it back, and you know, whatever. Um, it is so shameful to talk about it now because I can remember the way that I thought and it's just awful because this poor girl had been working so hard and, and someone was taking her money from her. But she got so angry that she came at me with a knife and she held a kitchen knife to my throat. Um, like she pinned me down on my bed and she had the, the blade pressed up against my throat. Um, and so I called the cops on her and uh, she was taken away that night, um, which started a snowball effect of what happened once he got out um, because there were we had to go to court about it um, and it started this, yeah, like I say, a snowball of police getting involved, trying to, you know, like split up this, separate, this situation, trying to get me out of it, trying to get her out of it, being on the run at one point, like hiding out from the police and uh, it was very messy. And he, you know, at the other end of the phone is ripping into us about how we're causing so much trouble and he's stuck in jail and so it's all, it's, it was such a convoluted mess and yeah it really is probably a Hollywood story <laughs> <laughs> let's um let's unpack some of it so and this is the the problem with the media is always asking the victim what he did you know like how did he manage to manipulate you mm. but I don't at this point have um, an opportunity to ask him that question right of so course. How do you feel? Is it is it your age? Was it a combination of his manipulative techniques and calculations? Like now in retrospect, looking at it, what was it? Was it an addiction? Was it something that you were just, were you scared to leave? Like what was going on? It's the hard part is looking at it in retrospect because even talking about like incidents that happened, um, I look at it now and go, oh my god, how did I even get into that position? How is it that is what happened? I remember that the, a distinct recurring, like the recurring theme for the entire relationship for me, was that he was making a promise of that we were going to take on the world, that he had these grand plans and that he needed me to help him make that happen and that when it did, the world would be mine. And I didn't want to lose out on that. And it was that thing of going, well, if I put in the hard yards and I cop it and I deal with the other woman being here and I deal with the abuse and the violence and the manipulation and the sheer fear of what's going on but if I'm focused on what the goal is and I prove to him that I can be that woman that he says he needs to take on the world with him that the riches will come to me in whatever shape or form will be at the end and I and I feel like that was the thing that that really did hold me the most because 
I didn't want to give up, I guess, and walk away. And then A, to start with, while she was still in the picture, have her be the one to get everything that I'd suffered for mm. or be, or that someone else or that he just at the end of go, well, I told you this was – like there was a few going, what if it does come true? What if he does manage to do that and he manages to make everything that he says is going to happen happen but I've gone, no, nah, it was too fucking hard and I've walked away and he has all of that and he's like, we well, could have had that. So there was a there was a very selfish part of it in me that I wanted to get that. I wanted to be – and I wanted mm-hmm. to be that woman – I wanted to be that one that he went, yes, this is the, this is the, like, I wanted to be the goddess. I wanted to be the one that he was like, couldn't have done this without you. It sounds a bit like an illusion. Yeah. Like it was chaotic and hard to catch your breath or step back from and look at and the illusion of it all and the hard yards that you'd put in, as you say, it was a really tricky way to get out. And I didn't want to lose to her. I don't know if it was her as a, like, I think at the time it was her as a person, but I look at it in res- retrospect now and I think I didn't want to be the loser. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be the one to go, I'm not going to be a part of this and I'm going to, like, I didn't want to surrender because I was truly believed I was invincible. I was the alpha female. Um, I was younger. I was, I believed, better looking. Um, I had more going for me, all these things because I said I was 19, I was full of myself. I honestly thought the sun shone out of my ass and I didn't want to be the loser. Mm-hmm. And so all the crap that he put us through. So when she finally, and I distinctly remember the moment when she finally had come to the end of it for her and she couldn't do it anymore and she left, there was a little part of me that went, damn. Now I have to stay because I've won. And that was when I realized that a lot of it had been about I didn't want to be the first one to give up. That's so interesting. What was it? What was the breaking point for her? We managed to sort of patch things up to a point where we were able to be civil to each other. Um, But as I said, and the reason why that particular incident is an important point of the story is because it became a catalyst for him to play us against each other really well because she had lingering resentment towards me after we tried to clear all of that up. And so it had started something. So he always had something to use. Um, so his big thing between us was a power play against each other. Mm. It was always the one who was in the good books and the one who was in the bad books. And believe me, you didn't want to be the one in the bad books. Why is that? What happens to you in the bad books? Oh, you have the, if you'll excuse my language, the living shit beaten out of you so he was physically violent he was disgustingly physically violent towards both of us and did you witness him being violent to her yes he burnt her with um like a hair appliance like a hot hair appliance he would do he would punch he would slap he would slam you against the wall he would stand you in the hallway and pour and pour freezing cold water over you he would do it to you while you were lying in bed. He would force you to stand. I mean, I have scars on my arm. I have permanent scars on my arm because he pushed me out the front door and, and we had this front door that one of those doors that when you pull it shut, it, it doesn't open. Like you have to open it with a key. Like it doesn't have a handle that you could open. And he pushed me out in the middle of the night and it was, I think it was winter or something. And he's like, you have to stay out there until you're, until I say you can come back in. 
And I turned around to try and stop, because I knew if he slammed the door, I was genuinely stuck outside, and I think I was just wearing, like, pyjamas or something. And I went to stop the door, and it was a wooden door. It had some little, had four little glass panels in it, and I managed to put my arm through the glass panel. As he slammed the door shut, my arm went, broke straight through the glass. And, and there's that moment where your brain goes, my arm shouldn't be through a closed door. That's not right. And I, I pulled it back and tore right down to the bone all through my arm. Um, and I had stitches. And, and that particular night, um, they, he called the ambulance. He scolded me for bleeding all over the place. There was just blood everywhere. Um, and then he called an ambulance for me. But he told me to go to the hospital and I was like, can you come with me? Because I was in shock. And I was going, he was like, no way, you've caused this. This is your, this is your fault. This is because of you. You go and deal with it yourself. So he sent me like off in the back of the ambulance and I had to go to hospital and have my arm sewn up. And, um, but that was my fault. You know, it was, it was nothing was ever his fault. Um, but yes, so I witnessed him, um, abuse her many times. And a lot of it was just degradation. Like, you know, you'd, you'd be in the, and I do have, I do have vivid memories often of her because of see, obviously seeing it from my perspective, standing. So we were in one, like a Federation style house, which has a hallway down the middle and the rooms go off to the side, standing in the hallway and he would have poured a kettle of water over her. Hot boiling. No, 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 just, no, sorry, but like that much, like he would get the kettle, he'd fill it oh, up. Oh, sure. And okay. I just water didn't know if it was No, not boiling. No, no, you're not doing that, but. He would, and so she would be standing there, and as I said, sometimes it was her and sometimes it was me, and he would pour water and she would just be standing there sobbing, this fully grown adult woman sobbing while he was ripping shreds off her and degrading her and telling her that she was just a worthless human being. You'd get slapped, you'd get punched, you'd get, as I said, he would shove you up against the wall with your throat. And did you ever... Or did she ever step in and try to help? Or was it just you were grateful it wasn't you? I think if he went too far, you would step in a little bit. But you, we were both very conscious of the fact that it would then, if you got in the way, he would turn it on you and then you'd cop the same thing. Mm. Um, and that, when you're in that situation, it's very hard. The, the, the fear and the knowledge of the pain that can be inflicted it sounds horrible, but you, there is a part of you that goes, oh, my God, today. There's a relief when you go, oh, it's not me today. Okay. She's in the bad books today. Okay, it's not me. So she's going to cop it, and then and I'm okay for today. But then it might be you tomorrow. So it's a – because the same thing, then it would happen to me, and I would be the one who was in the bad books, um, and he'd be doing it to me, and she would be safe for a day. Um, the other flip side to it was the manipulation around – sex with both of us uh, because both of us believed that we were his girlfriend and that the other one wasn't supposed to be there can we talk about that Mm. how does he how does he manage that first of all where does he sleep and where do you are you all in the same room no so there were two bedrooms she had one and I had one and I have a distinct memory one one night of we were in the lounge room and he was saying to me like I'm going to have to, like, and, and, and you've got to remember that we're in the mindset here where he's telling me that I'm his girlfriend and it's the two of us. But he, I remember him saying to me, like, I'm going to have to sleep with her tonight because, you know, I haven't slept with her for a while. I do believe I think he slept with me more than he did with her. So I do think ultimately 
the story he was telling me was more true than what he was telling her. Is that true? Or do you think that's a bit of your survival mechanism still in place, that self-preservation? Look, it absolutely could be. And, and, and I only say that based on my memory of what we did together. So I know that we spent more time together than he, like he spent more time with me than I believe he spent with her. So I'm not a hundred percent sure. It could be completely wrong. Maybe it's not. Maybe it was, maybe he really was going to get rid of me and keep her. As I said, she left. So I, you know, it never came to a point where he made that decision. Um, yeah, and you're right. My my memory of it could be skewed based on on a on a survivalist thing. I'm not sure. When he said that to you, when he said, "I have to sleep with her again because it's been a while," do you get mad? Do you just go, "Yep, I get it"? Do you try and do you hear them? What is the what's going on for you? It hurt. It hurt so much. I was so crushed by it, and I. I have a vivid imagination already <laughs> and uh, look, I, I'm sure I probably could hear things and and I, it hurt and it made me angry and it made me jealous. Like I hated her and I was so jealous that he was in there with her and that she was getting what she wanted and um, I, I remember crying. I think I even might have stayed in the lounge room because it was a bit further away from her bedroom but it was, yeah, it it crushed me. It absolutely crushed me that this guy who was claiming to say that I was, you know, his girlfriend and that he wanted to be with me and no one else was then going in, into this other room and having sex with her. And are you supposed to just get on like normal? Yep. Was the sex, was that violent as well? I guess what I'm asking is, is it, was it sexual abuse? Not in that sense, no. Um, were I you do, consenting? We were consenting, yeah. Uh, when we were, con- when it was the two, like if it was a- as a pair, yes, consenting. As a threesome, uh, not held at gunpoint, so to speak, but there was a little more coercion when it was the three of us because I don't think either of us were either of us two women were interested in that. Um, but it was a good way to. Stay in his good books if you went along with it, I guess. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you mind if we talk about the threesomes? Sure. In these instances where he gets you both agreeing, and I'm feeling like you have to agree or you'll be punished anyway, so you, you go along with it. Is he, do you feel competitive in there for his attention as well? Or is he kind of dictating the episode? Oh, I feel like you're competitive in it. Um, I certainly felt competitive in it. Um, it was the, that was the first 
first time for me in that sort of situation and I do have memories of yeah I guess wanting to show that cool I was cool with it like yeah I can I can do this and uh and you know I can be into it and and this is something that I that I'm totally okay with there was an incident where he encourages to take substances um which I wasn't comfortable with but again you're at a you're so far down the rabbit hole that you kind of have to go along with it uh and I remember it bringing out something horrendous in me uh, because it did involve a sexual situation with the three of us and I do not like who I turned into and I vaguely think that he recorded part of that um which horrifies me and I hope it doesn't exist um and that's when you start to realize even though you're still stuck in it and I was still in that relationship with him for another good two years after that but little little things sort of like tack up a note in your brain to go this is not right <laughs> like this is not a normal situation when you say you weren't proud of who you became under the influence of a substance were were you violent were you aggressive 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 but I think that it's it was a release point for the things that you were holding on to it was a getting back like there was an element of wanting to because you couldn't you couldn't rage you couldn't rage back at him so he could rage at you but you couldn't rage back and you couldn't rage at the other woman you couldn't you couldn't do those things you had to keep yourself in check to protect yourself so I found in that when your when your inhibitions are lifted off you there was an aggression that would come out did you harm either of them no nothing like that no nothing like not not any yeah, aggression more sexually aggressive. Sexually person. more aggressive. Okay. Yes. Okay. Not physically yeah. aggressive. Not physically. No. Okay. Good to clarify. This was your life. I'm sure over time there's this weird sense of normalcy, even though you know it's really not normal. Where are your friends and family? And do you have contact? Do are you lying about? the circumstances, where, where does things stand? Most of what I went through, nobody knew about until only a couple of years ago when I started to talk about it. So um, they knew that I was in a bad situation. They knew he was a very bad man. Um, I was already starting to get very skinny at that point um, because I lost a lot of weight through a lot of stress and a lot of trauma and a lot of um, I was quite malnourished and neglected and things like that. So I was in a very bad way. By the end of it, I was, I was basically skeletal. So, but at this point, um, they, they knew that things weren't right and I wasn't talking to them and I wasn't in their world. Um, I didn't really have any friends. Um, my world consisted of him and her. That was about it, really. Uh, and the little world that he had created. So I didn't have external friends. Um, or anyone else to talk to and I said I never talked about it never talked about it it was it was awful mainly because I didn't think people would believe it I didn't think and I felt stupid about it like I knew that I knew that it was wrong I knew that there was nothing normal about the situation that I was in but how do you call up your girlfriend and be like hey so I'm living with a guy and another girl and we're kind of all together but kind of not and she hates me and and I kind of hate her and then he hits her and then he hits me. Like, how do you have that conversation with someone? Uh, especially when, you, as I said, I truly believe that once we could get rid of her, we would be, you know, 
king and queen of the prom, so to speak. You do get rid of her. She does leave. This now from start to her leaving is how long? Maybe a year. You stayed with him for how long after she left? Well, in total, I was with him for approximately three years. Mm -hmm. Um, So at least, I'd say at least a good 18 months of just the two of us, yeah. And what was life like when you know that you're the only option for the bad days? Dark. Life was dark. There was no sunshine. Was it worse without her? Yeah. Yep. It was um it was brutal in in every way. So we moved from a house that was that had like a front yard and a backyard and you could get around the side of the house and you could get in and out front door and the back door and like it was a single level house. We moved from that to like a townhouse style house but it meant that the only way in and out was past him and so I found myself in a box that I couldn't get out of and I was the only person to cop his rage at any time or his desire to control or whatever he needed to do and um it was a very dark time Zoe it was really really black It's a, um, I mean, I've survived a, I'm going to say similar as in just two people in a relationship, domestic violence situation. So I can almost be there with you. Like I can feel it and people will ask like 18 months, you know, but days roll into days and weeks Mm. and months and it's a... It is a real survival game, but I think when you've been through a situation as long as you have and you have no sense of self anymore and you don't even know what you like, apple juice or orange juice, you have, it's a, it's a really, I really want to hammer this home to everyone listening, not getting it because there will be judgments towards just leave, like walk out the front door, go to the cops, go to your mum. Um, and I think it's a really important conversation around this control and coercion. Can you give us a day in the life so we can get a picture of the limited choice you had? Yeah, because this is this is exactly the thing. This is the reason that I that I talk about what I went through is because it is that people. Why don't you leave? Well. <laughs> Let's let's stop for a second. And go. Let's flip that over and say, well, why is he doing that? Let's exactly. not say why are you leaving. Like that's the first thing, right? But if we put that aside and we talk about what what happens in the situation, is that it's not black and white. It is every shade of grey. Mm-hmm. So you don't go into a relationship with someone. If you went on the first date with someone, you've met them for the first time, and they reach across the table and punch you in the face, are you going to stick around? Mm-mm. No. You're either are you going to hit them back? B, call the cops on them, or C, quite simply, never see them again. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in that. If you're going to hit me, I'm out. But that's mm-hmm. not how it works in a domestic violent relationship, you know, when there are violence involved. It starts with words. It starts with put-downs. It starts with well, they have to suss out how susceptible you are to their control and their manipulation. How vulnerable are you? Um, so if they, you know, it'll start with things like, well, you're stupid. 
well, who does that? You know, what an idiot. Or you're fat. Or you're, you know, put some makeup on. You look ugly today. Or no one else is going to, why, I'm, you know, you're lucky that you've got me. It's things like that is often where those sort of things start. You're not worth anything. And when, if the majority of what you hear in a day is that sort of conversation, that's what you start to believe. Mm-hmm. For me, it was, um, so yes, there was a lot of physical abuse and I'm happy to go into that too. I'm, I'm not ashamed, not ashamed or afraid to talk about that, but it's the other elements of it. So I didn't have friends. So I didn't have anyone outside of him that would, could tell me otherwise. And as I said, when you spend day in and day out, and this is the stuff that you hear, it's very hard not to take that on board. I was self-conscious about myself already. I was a little unsure of who I was. I said I was only sort of, oh, so it must have been about 20 or so by the time we were, it was the two of us, but I was still very young. Um, I was quite naive. As I said, I was quite, I thought that I was going to be, you know, this superstar. And But I was also very unsure of who I was. I'd never had many girlfriends. Um and he could see all of that. He could see that I was very unsure of who I was. And he used that against me. Um, he was constantly surrounded by very good-looking women. He always used that as a manipulation against me. You know, but it's things like I was allowed to work, but then I wasn't allowed to work. And, or I was, you know, I was trying to study at the time, but he would break all the things that I was working on. Like he would destroy my assignments that I was working on. Um, you know, you would, so a typical day would be, you know, so for example, when I was working, like when I actually had a job outside of, you know, so I would leave the house. So he would work all through the night. Um, he'd often go to bed probably maybe just before the sun came up. So he would, whereas I would be in bed, right? So, for example, um, I might be in bed upstairs and he'd be downstairs in his office. He had a very deep voice and, and I, I could wake up in the night and hear him on the phone and I'd listen and I'd realise that he'd be talking to a girl, um, you know, and girls would be sending very explicit photographs of themselves or messaging him all the time and wanting to see him and stuff like that. So I'm sure I never found any concrete proof, but I would put any money in the world on it that he was sleeping wherever he wanted to. So I was some nights it would be that I'd wake up and I'd hear him on the phone and then that thing clenches in your gut. You go, oh my God, he's talking to another one. Like I thought it was meant to be me. Like, you know, there's this cheating thing. There's this fear of, is he cheating on me? Is he cheating on me? Or an alternative would be that he would want to talk to me and so he would come in at two or three o'clock in the morning and wake me up because and I was expected to get up when he wanted to talk to me sort of thing or he'd throw water on me because I was asleep or so I'd be asleep in bed and he'd throw a a jug of water on me Um, but then I would go to work like I'd get up he'd be asleep I would go off to work worry all day that there was another woman in my house to paranoia now is a paranoia paranoia so paranoid and then you would come home and the first thing is you go you come to your front door and you'd hesitate for a second and go, if I open this door, am I going to have a glass or something thrown at me? Right. Because that happened a lot. I've got scars on, and, and he broke ribs at one point because he threw a heavy, like, drinking glass at me and, and broke them. So you'd open the front door and, and there was a clear, clear shot from his desk to the front door. Am I going to get screamed at? Am I going to get mm. told off? Or is there going to be a woman perched on my boyfriend's desk wearing not much? Or what's going to happen to me? You're in the the web of madness now as well. The way that your brain has now been rewired is in this chaotic state. Yes. And and you've got to remember I'm also bruised at this point or constantly bruised and always in places that people can't see. Um, So you're already feeling less than your complete self because you're hurting. And and he treated our dogs very – he had two dogs um, and he was 
disgraceful towards them. Like it's just an abomination of the way he treated those animals. Mm. But I would cook dinner, for example, and if he didn't like it, he would throw the plate across the kitchen and smash it on the wall, Um, which is a lingering thing that I had for a very, very, very long time. I was very afraid to cook food for other people for a very, very long time for fear that someone wouldn't like what I'd cooked. Uh, And I'm not the world's best chef. Like it was very basic food that I was making, but if it wasn't exactly what he wanted, then it would get thrown at you. Um, If he was very angry um, outside of the physical abuse that he would afflict on my body, um, it would be things like I wouldn't be allowed to sleep in our bed because it was his. I wouldn't be allowed to touch his furniture and everything in that house belonged to him. So I wouldn't be allowed to sleep. I wouldn't even be allowed to touch the couch or the rug and his dogs could sleep on the couch and I'd have to sleep on the floor. I'm just so sorry. These, It's just inhumane. Yes. And, and I think there is a million more examples, you know, mm. that you can give us. How do you get out there was a point around my 21st birthday where I had one girlfriend who stuck with me through, even we, even though we weren't really very close for a period, she was always there for me and I've known her my whole life. And around my 21st birthday, she was like, are you going to leave? And I said to her, I'm not done yet. And I know that's the weirdest thing in the world to say, but I knew there was a part of me like the, that was keeping me alive that knew that in order for me to leave permanently, I had to be done with the situation and there was something in me that wasn't done and I can't explain what that, what that was. There's almost an addiction to it. Like there is an addiction to the point where, for example, you start to recognize the pattern. So you know that the pressure boiler, which is what they kind of are, is going to the, the pressure in that boiler is going to build and build and build and build. And at some point they snap and there's a huge blob and you get beaten or whatever is going to happen. But then it simmers down and everything's fine for a couple of days. So and that's there's always there's always a cycle like that. And you get addicted to the point where you know that it's about time for that pressure cooker to explode. And you'll actually poke it until it does, because then at least you know it's done. And you're good for a couple of days and you can get off the eggshells that you've been walking on for days at a time. Do you also feel like the world outside of this world is scarier? Like the unknown, like you're, there's some parts of you that become very desensitized to this trauma and abuse that leaving is sometimes scarier because you're like, well, what else is in the world? Like I can, I, I, at least I know what to expect here. Yes, and I think that for me was the biggest fear leaving and, and that's exactly it, Zoe. It was when the time came that I knew that it was time to go, there was a great fear that there was nothing else in the world for me, that I would never make new friends, that I would never find someone to be with, that there, this was all that life could amount to be. And not in a morbid, like, oh, no, this is the end of the world, but it was just there was a genuine fear that nothing else was out there, that I was going to go out into what? Like, what What else could there be? This is all, I was so desensitized to it, so this was such the norm for me that I was genuinely afraid that there was not going to be anything else for me to do outside of this relationship. 
But to come back to the point where I realized it was time to go, as so I said, around my 21st birthday, I knew I wasn't done. There was something that I had felt like I had unfinished business for myself. I had to come to a certain place. So I think I was getting closer to my 22nd birthday and it was like part of me was starting to wake up. Mm. I'm just going, I think this is enough. Like this is really hurting now. What What are you achieving in this? And And I don't know where this little voice came from. I don't know why it was asleep for so long. But this little part of me started to go, I think we're coming to the end. This is not going where he says, has has promised for so long that it's going to go. It's time for you, like, are you not sad enough? Like, how much more does this need to hurt? And so it wasn't an instant leave. Um, And in fact, even when I did physically leave the house, um, I came back a couple of weeks later for a few days, uh, incurred a permanent injury because of it. So, you know, that's on me for going back again. No, but I also <laughs> want to say that it took me eight months to leave from the day mm-hmm. I left and I repeatedly went back. Yes. I mean, repeatedly got harmed and I think it's not your fault. Like I think it, uh, the brain... Um, neurologically it's like a weaning yes. you know like it's almost too much it's too I, I, I'm not trying to excuse it and I'm not trying to make you know excuses but I feel like the returning isn't there shouldn't be shame around that is what I'm trying to say oh no absolutely not and I don't mean it to sound like that at all I, I think I was just being I, I do apologize and especially if anyone no you anyone don't have to thinks that I'm that I'm being flippant, but it, I know that sometimes the way I talk about it can seem a little flippant or a little bit like, um, like I know I haven't done today. I'm very impressed with myself, but occasionally I might even like, there might be a little nervous laugh or something that comes with it. Um, and I'm not being flippant about it and I'm not being, you know, I don't at any point think that any of this is my fault apart from the things that I already take responsibility for. It's more of a, I think it's a continuation of the desensitization for me. Like I don't connect to it anymore because I'm not in it. Anyway, but yes, in leaving, it is a long process. It's also the most dangerous time when someone leaves a violent relationship because they're losing control. And he just turned into a flip, like he just went ballistic when it happened. So the extra process of me leaving and um, when the time came and I realized I was done and I called, as I said, I only really had one friend left and I called her and I said, "Um, are you busy? I think uh, I need to leave now. And she went, I'll see you in half an hour. And she lived a good hour away. <laughs> and I don't know what she was doing at the time, but whatever it was, she dropped it and she was there. And we packed all my stuff into the back of her car, put the rest of it in the back of my, in, in back of, and I didn't have much, only the stuff that I had been able to salvage because he destroyed everything that I owned. But everything that I had went into her car. She took it back to her place, put the rest of it in my car. She said, move your car, park your car around the corner so he can't see it uh, because... Uh, he used to, he destroyed my car, like he broke everything, everything I ever had, he destroyed everything. Um, so I moved my car away and then I waited there. I think I had one small bag left with me and I waited for him to come home and I told him that I was leaving and he turned into the heartbroken boyfriend who was having his, you know, his whole life pulled out from under him and it was all very, you know, about oh, him. yeah, I'm so broken. Why would you leave? I thought we had, you know, I love you and I can't be without you. And he would play sets. I remember sitting on the staircase thinking, oh my God, how do I just get out of this house? And he was putting on sad music and he was all like, oh, please don't leave me. And da 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 da. 
Um, but I left, um, I went to stay with a relative for a few days. Oh, and I, and I sort of like, um, crashed on a few people's couches and things because I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and at this time, as I said, this is more than, more than 10 years ago. I didn't know about, um, refuges or shelters. I didn't know about any of that. I said, I literally thought that I was just going out into the world on my own and had nothing and no one. So I crashed on a couple of people's couches. I know I pissed a few people off because I was a, absolute basket case at this point um i was about a good almost 20 kilos lighter than is healthy for my height and body type i was there was nothing to me zoe i had my teeth were destroyed um i had no meat on my body i was just a skeleton um and i had no concept of i had no concept of i had no concept of normal relationships in any form not just not just romantic relationships i didn't know how to deal with the people I worked with, I didn't know how to deal with friendships. I didn't, so I'm sure that I was just like a horrible house guest for people at the time. And, and I do remember one particular girl whose whose couch I crashed on for a little bit recently when I started to talk about my story, messaged me and said, she said, I had no idea that that is what you were going through when you came to me. And that's where I was like, oh, I never, because she just, she, she must have just thought I was just a freak, <laughs> but I was a mess. But I left, um, and then I remember at one point he, he got me to come back. I remember going back to the house and there was a girl there that had been hanging around for a while and she was just evil to me. She just treated, she just treated me like I was this psychotic ex-girlfriend and she was so cruel to me and he was laughing at me and that was so horrible to me. Uh, but that was when I, uh, but I, you know, he, eventually he was like, cool, right, you go out. You can, uh, like got, got her to leave and I was like, good. And then he's like, well, you stay with me. So I stayed that night. Um, that was when he, he slapped me so hard across the head that he that he burst my eardrum. Oh god. So it was more about the way that he responded to it. Like it wasn't me always going back to him, it was that his behaviour changed. So he turned into this stalk stalker kind of guy, you know, he he found out where I, I rented a property, like I found myself a little studio apartment and he managed to track down where I was and he would sit out in the car park and, and make noise until I'd come out or he'd climb up on the roof of my car so he could get onto my balcony and try to get through the door. I went on a date with a guy. He called me 86 times in two hours. <laughs> it was this, he called my parents. He told, I mean, he called my mother and told my mother that I'd had an abortion two years earlier um, just to get her to make me talk to him. He would call, calling an ambulance on me because and telling them that I had told him that I was going to commit suicide so that they would come to me and by law they would have to take me to the hospital and observe me even though I'd done nothing of the sort. So everything that he could do to get to me, yeah, very, very hard to shake. What was the final straw for him then? What made him leave you alone? Because you had left and now he was doing the grasping. What let him let go? I think it was just time. Um, he started to see another girl after a while. I think that's probably when it really started to, when it really sort of let go is that he got a new girlfriend and I'm sure she copped some crap from him. Um, but he's never really gone, Zoe. I've heard from him. It's been more than a decade. Um, and I think the last time I heard from him was maybe a year or two ago. He just pops up occasionally. Um, always just a small reminder that he still exists. Do you mean he still tries to make his presence known in your life or do you just mean that you've bumped into him or seen him or 
never I have not physically seen him since the last time that like that we walked that, that I walked away from him um, but for a while that he'd occasionally get a message from him so we had been friend obviously had been friends on Facebook and when you I mean you can unfriend someone on Facebook but if you've already got messenger like a messenger history with them that stays open like so there's still a contact point through that you'd never Which, blocked him well I didn't know that happened until he messaged me <laughs> all of a sudden I got this messenger from him and I was like why is this name popping up on my screen um he'd obviously looked me up um he'd seen that I'd gotten married so he congratulated me on my marriage a couple a few years ago I ignored that but then about a year or two ago I got a message from him I think A, he congratulated on me on the birth of my child, but he also messaged me to say he thanked me for being there for him during a volatile period of his life and that he had been going through a lot of shit and he basically thanked me for being there and blah, 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 blah. And that was when I went, okay, I'm done with this. And I took me a couple of days and I wrote a very, very specifically worded response to him and told him that there was um, basically told him that he's evil. <laughs> uh, actually, it was a really, as I said, it was a very well worded, and I, it took me a few days to really like. I kept coming back to it and revisit it until I had it worded just the way I wanted it, and it was my final thing. And I sent that, and then I blocked him. And then from then I won't hear from him. Like he can't get me that way again. There's two sides of this, right? There's a part where I'm sure your current partner is like, block, delete everything. I never want him to have any contact with you ever again. I'm sure there's a small or a large part of you that felt like that, but kind of there was a lingering, you know, the door was kind of still open a bit that he could get to you up until recently. Did it take that long for you to feel like I need to have the final say, I need to do this for myself? And was it worth it? There came a point where I was wanted to go and go to the police about everything that had happened and I wanted him to pay for what he'd done. And I started a process of like I made a like I made a report, whatever they call it, and started that with the police. Long story short, I through um, a different person that was in my life at the time came to a place where I was able to forgive what had happened to me. Not necessarily forgive him, like I don't I don't condone anything that he did or anything like that, but I came to a place where I found forgiveness for myself and forgiveness for what had happened. And through that, I decided not to pursue it any further because the repercussions of him going to jail could, in the long run, have caused a lot more trouble for me. I understand. My regret is not... My regret is that it is not on his record that he is this person. Mm. Um, people think these days that he's like, you know, this incredible guy and which is what he always, you know, portrayed himself to be and everyone thought, always thought he was wonderful. And a lot of people, when I do tell them who it is, go, oh, my God, I didn't realise it was him. Um, so my one regret is that, as I said, this is, not on, this is not public knowledge for this man that this is what he is and this is what he's done. So for me to be able to tell him in a very succinct message what I thought of him and what I thought of our time together. There's a reason I spent a few days working on it. I didn't just say, you know, fuck off. <laughs> um, I really wanted him to know that, no, that is not what it was. It was not me being there for him during a volatile period of his life, that he was cruel and abusive and and in the most inhumane and, and debasing way. 
he destroyed a part of me that I will never get back and that the only good thing out of it is that I will never, ever have to see that man again. And that's what I said to him. And I said, I will never, ever have to see you again. And that is the only good thing that comes out of this is that you are not a part of my life. Did he respond? Well, I blocked him after that. I sent it, made sure that it got, I, I made sure that it got through to him. Like, you know, you can check that it's been delivered. I knew that it was delivered to him. And then I blocked him so he couldn't respond because I didn't want to hear from him and I didn't want to open that up. Wow, what a story. I mean, I do think it's important at some point in the deep that we discuss ways on supporting victims, uh, especially when they're in the crux of it. But I do want to keep this just about you today. And I'm rattled. I'm sad for you. Um, but I'm also just so grateful that you're with us because I, you know, the statistics are horrific in this country, women dying at the hands of their partners and you're here to tell the story. So I'm so grateful for your courage today and um, that you survived. Yes. So, so am I. And it's a, as I said a bit before, I, I find I'm, I detach myself from it a lot. Um, Not because it's not, it's not an important thing or, or a serious thing to, to, to talk about or, or to um, think about. But the fact that it is something that happened to me, it's not who I am. Um, and I'm so conscious of the fact that I am so very lucky to be here. Um, and that's why I'm so determined to not let it rule my life because it could have been the end of my life. Our final question, who are you and no one's watching? I am a bit of a hermit, a bit of a homebody, um, still not always very sure of myself, a bit of a, a loner, I guess, but someone who loves to be a little bit silly, um, loves to make life fun and happy, um, love to make people laugh when I can, even if I'm being completely ridiculous. <laughs> um, I'm just me. Mm. Thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes, and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.